So this morning, I will be continuing on with the uh, message of, of, uh, from the Gospel of Mark. And um, as you know, Mark is about the good message. Uh, the good message of Jesus. The good news of the Kingdom of God. And last time we looked at Mark, um, I don't know, this is a little bit tinny, huh? Yeah, it depends on where you're standing. Oh, is it? Yeah. Sorry, I'm just... Um... So the last time we looked at Mark, we looked at temptation and what that meant. Temptation and uh, how, what it meant to us. And this week, uh, it's important for the season, I'm going to be showing you a couple of things, parallels... Uh, and I'm going to be looking up at the screen at this point in time so that I can see it. But we're going to be looking at some parallels, some seasons, and some patterns. So that when you read in the Old Testament, uh, you will see some things that happen throughout the salvation of Israel that are pertinent to us today. And the reason why I'm giving them is because I'm going to show you where we slot in, in Mark, in that parallel, and show you some of those parallels. So the first one, and that was the first message we spoke on in the Gospel of Mark, was preparation. That was Mark 1, 1 to 8. And you know, John the Baptist came and he prepared the way for Jesus. And there was a preparation. And it was a corresponding preparation that happened in Egypt uh, before Moses came on, on the scene. Uh, God was for 400 years preparing the Israelites to move away from Egypt. And there was a preparation. And we'll see what that means. Then after the preparation, then there was deliverance. And the deliverance came through the Red Sea, which is baptism. We saw Mark 1, 9 to 11, baptism plus also adoption. But baptism represent, is represented by the Red Sea. And we know that in the New Testament, the scriptures point to that. And it's the part of repentance. So those are correlations. And then there is the aspect of testing, which we did last time, which was the temptation of Jesus. The trial, and that was indicated 40 days in the wilderness. That's Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus put 40 days in the wilderness. And that's the para parallel that we see from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And the process in which people are, salvation comes. Then we see repurposing. Alright, and that we see today. We're going to be looking at repurposing, which is Mark 1, 14 to 20. And that is where there was a new generation that was going to go into the promised land. And we'll see that today with uh, Jesus' disciples. And then after that, there was the taking of ground, the promised land. And that means it's similar to the kingdom advance. So God wants the whole process of salvation. And he didn't want Israel to stop at any one of those places. And for the believer, God doesn't want us to be stuck in one of those places. He wants us to move on. And so we take ground. Deliverance, there's a difference between deliverance and repurposing. And we look at that today. But in the deliverance, there was a calling out from bondage. All right. Whereas when it comes to repurposing, it requires faith from trial to promise. Okay, and it's important to know those two things because these are, as I said, parallels or seasons or patterns that are in a believer's life. And it is important to know those two differences because sometimes when we're in bondage, we need deliverance and we need to call upon the Lord to get us out of that place. But sometimes when being in bondage sometimes feels like a trial, all right? But they are different. And so we need different 
a different understanding from in terms of where we're at or what season we're at. Otherwise, we mix the two up and we need to know what it requires to go on to the next season. Okay, so if a person is in bondage, they need to be calling on the Lord for deliverance out of that bondage. If they're in a time of testing and trial, they need to have faith to go on to the new season, which is to the promised land and taking ground. So it's important to remember that. Now then, once they've taken the ground, then they've got to hold on to it. And if you do not hold on to it, what happens, you go back into bondage. And for the believer, that can happen through backsliding. If they do not hold the ground, okay, and we see that again with the Jews or the Israelites, once they had taken the promised land, they didn't fully take it and they didn't hold the ground. And then they went into bondage again. So this is a cycle that happens that we can recognize and it is helpful for us to know so that we know which season we're in or which space we're in so that we need to know what we need to do. All right. So that should help you. And this happens for you as an individual, but it also in some sense happens as churches. Okay? Sometimes you see, if you look at Jesus when he addresses the churches in, in, in the book of Revelation, sometimes they needed deliverance and sometimes they just needed encouragement to go in to take the promised land. So there are seasons both in individuals' lives, but there are seasons in groups of people's lives. And we need to know where we're at. And the church needs to know where it is at so that it knows what it needs to do. It's no use trying to go into the promised land and take ground and have faith when you're in bondage and need to be delivered. But if you're in a time of trial, you must understand, okay, this is a trial, but what is the next step? So that we don't remain in a poor me mentality. So there's no sin in your life, but there's this continual trial and you become comfortable with the trial. Because then you need to move out. So those are just some of the things that I thought would be helpful. Helpful to give you like a... Something of a pattern that happens and you'll be able to... It's like a template that you can use on your personal life. So... I thought that it is important because when we read the Old Testament, it's helpful to know that so that we can use the scripture to look at ourselves and where we're at. And if you know these parallels, then it makes it a little bit easier. Amen. Amen. Okay, hopefully that's, that's intuitive. You will know what it means. We'll go on to the section that we're dealing with today, which is repurposing. All right, repurposed. So we're in the scripture at Mark 1 and 14 to 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he says, Repent, what John the Baptist was saying, but he adds something to it, and believe in the gospel. So, no longer just turning away, as we'll see, but going into something else. Believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the, sons of James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee in the boat, with their hired servants, and followed him. 
Okay, and these uh, Mark focuses on these really specifically because these these four people form the core of Jesus's discipleship team. All right, and so it's helpful to look at this scripture in terms of terms of that. All right, so we see the message of Jesus coming out. John the Baptist. John said, "I must decrease and he must increase." Speaking about Jesus. So Jesus comes along and speaks about repentance, but he adds something to it. Believe. Okay, believe. So John is put in prison. Jesus takes over with a similar message, but different. While John's ministry was focused on what we repent from, primarily in preparation for Jesus, Jesus' ministry would focus on to repent, uh, to believe to. So repent from and believe to the gospel of the kingdom. So it's moving away from the one and taking people on. John would represent in some ways Moses' leadership. And Jesus would represent Joshua's ministry. Now we can't take that allegory too far because obviously Jesus encompasses everything. And we see Jesus in everything. But Joshua and Jesus are very similar in their in the in the names, all right. So uh, Jesus fulfills the ministry of taking people onto the promised land, and Moses represents the priesthood that was, in some sense, you know, they had learned the, the the Levites. Now it was time for the whole of Israel to take the promised land. So there was this shift, all right. So under Moses' leadership, the Israelites came out of Egypt, requiring repentance. All right, and that's, we see that in the, how they were tested to get Egypt out of them. Not only come out of Egypt, but they had to get Egypt out of them. But then they required faith under the leadership of Joshua to enter the promised land. And as we know, <laughs> they doubted. So while they had moved past repentance, gone through trial, the next step of faith, they failed to take a hold of. And not all entered because of the requirement of faith. So Hebrews 4, 1-2 says this, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also had the gospel preached to us, just as they did, but the message that they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. And that was in reference to, to when the spies were sent out into the promised land and they all came back two came back and said it's going to be tough but God is with us let's take it ten came back and said no there's giants in the land we're not going to and the whole community rebelled because they couldn't have faith that was the next requirement and so you see Jesus coming on the scene and what do we see in Jesus' ministry Primarily, it's not that there's no repentance because he speaks about repentance regularly, but often people are commended for their faith because faith is required for the season of going in and taking the promised land. That's the requirement. That is what we, you need to be repurposed for taking the promised land. So Jesus preaches both repentance and faith. Both are required in the kingdom. Repentance brings us out and faith takes us on. Repentance brings us out, and faith takes us on. Both are required for the kingdom. So any person that says, well, I've repented, and that's all I need to do, you can say, well, you're not wrong. You have to have faith too. If anybody says, all I need to do is have faith, which some people are doing, and they 
neglect the need for repentance from. That's not the whole of salvation. You need what Jesus said, repent and believe. Repent and believe. We've got to repent from sin and we've got to believe into it. So that's the whole process that I showed you at the beginning. That's the process of salvation. And we're all in one of those places at some time. Right? And we need to know and recognize the season that we're in at any given time as an individual, but also as a group. Let's go on. Um, right. So then we go on to the repurposing of people, because that's what this, this section is about. Alright, so Jesus goes on, he says, repent and believe, and immediately he starts to choose disciples. Um, and the way in which Jesus chooses disciples, I'm going to give you a scripture which represents the way that he chose these disciples. Mark 2 verse 22 says, And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskin will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. Now there's a number, this allegory or uh, parable represents a number of different things. One of the things it does rep represent is the way that Jesus chose his disciples. Because it was not usual. Who he calls? Who does he call? We see Simon, Andrew, James and John. Jesus doesn't make the natural choice when it comes to these disciples. The natural choice would have been the educated Pharisees. Not the uneducated fishermen. That would have been the natural choice. They would still have... Now, remember in saying this, that, the, that these, while they were fishermen, you know, sometimes we think that they were fishermen, so therefore when we speak about, when they speak to them that they don't, weren't educated, does not mean that they didn't have a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. Because they did. Every Jewish child was trained in the Scriptures all of them were. So they would have had a pretty thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. That's why they could have accepted Him as Messiah. Not because it's just all of a sudden, okay, Jesus is on the scene. And that's like the way the Gentile looks at it. But for a Jew, those fishermen would have had a thorough knowledge of Scripture. Okay, but they weren't a Pharisee. They didn't have the same type of learning that the Pharisees did. This is similar to what happens to the Israelites in the desert. The majority of the older leaders were too fearful, lacking faith, to enter the promised land. Okay? So there is, was a repurposing that happened at that specific time. Jesus uses people who, who he doesn't have to break down their embedded theological mindset before repurposing them to the core. You see, if he took a Pharisee, what he would have had to do is to break down their theology before he could actually repurpose them for something. And he said, no, well, let me just take somebody that I don't have to break down their theology in order to get them to go where they need to go. Now, what is interesting is that the spread of the church historically begins to decline in its spread the higher the bar is set theologically. Do you know that? So... When a movement, when a church movement starts, it usually starts with lay people, average people, that start to see the possibility of preaching the gospel, of going out and doing the Lord's work, called to, uh, to gather groups of people and disciple them, form a church of some sort. That's how the gospel spreads. 
But as soon as that movement emerges, they set up theological colleges. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with theological colleges. All right? There is, the Bible says we must study to, know, to, to show ourselves approved. Uh, though the method that Jesus uses and the method we believe in is, is a knowledge of equipping within the context of a community, which is the church. And that, again, it doesn't mean anything about not getting educated elsewhere. However, as the theological training goes up and the seminaries get higher, the people coming out of those seminaries are not looking to start churches, but to get called into churches that have already got the mechanism set up. Like, okay, I'm going to, just like you would, you, you train as an engineer, and then I, I look for a job where they're hiring engineers. But of course, the gospel is not like that. It doesn't spread like that. All right? Now, again, it's not like that can't happen. But I'm saying that there is a lack of advance because people need to be repurposed. They need to be repurposed. And that's what we see over here. Okay? It doesn't seem that for the advance of the kingdom, there needs to be people. There needs to be people for the advance of the kingdom. There need to be people with possibility thinking. They don't see barriers. They see possibility. And this is absolutely crucial for the extension of the kingdom. In, in its microcosm and its macrocosm, you might say, well, okay, I'm not going to go and plant a church. Well, you may not be going to plant a church. But in order for God to use you as a person to extend His kingdom, because the call is for all of us, we have to think with possibility. Okay? Now, not all of those possibilities will pan out. That's okay. You know, but to extend the kingdom in any way requires the possibility. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to take a risk. Okay? Even if the risk doesn't pay off. You know? Where people need ministry, you might say, well, this is what I'm prompting on in my heart to go visit this person, to call them. You may never have done that in your life before. And you might think, well, the person just might not be interested in that. So I don't know, you know, the person's quite private. I don't think I'll do that. You see, that's, that's thinking without possibility. Whereas if you're thinking with possibility, you think, well, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I can speak to the person. I can contact the person. I can minister to the person, whether they're unsaved or saved, because I believe the kingdom is broad in that sense. You, you start to think possibly rather than impossible. And, and one of the things that the devil puts in the way of believers is to make them think that it's impossible. Like he did with those uh, ten leaders. He said, no, it's impossible to do this. But with God, all things are possible. But when we think about all things are possible, we often think about it in the context of what God can do for me. But that is in what God can do in the kingdom. We have to think with possibility and faith in order to fulfill what God has called us to fulfill. So, this is what happens, alright? So, we need to be, as I said, we don't want to say in any way, we all, the person that stops digging in the Word stops growing in the Word. So, just be, it's, it's not, we're not saying you shouldn't study to show yourself approved. I'm not saying that. We should always be digging. One of, the, one of my contentions sometimes with people that have gone to a seminary and come out is they stop digging in the Word. And you see, 10 years, 15 years, you say to them, what are you going to preach? And they will preach something that they learned 15 years ago. 
That's ridiculous. You're never going to take the promised land that way. You've got to be digging continually. All right? Continually. And the same for you as a believer like you and I. We've got to be continually digging in the Word. All right? When He calls, there must be an immediacy of reaction for those who want to be used by God. And, and they put Christ first, the call, above their relationships with their nearest and dearest. That's what happens. We see over here, Christ calls and immediately they leave. And, and I want to say this is a principle. That as soon as we don't do it immediately, it creates opportunity for the devil to bring doubt. You know, if God's calling you to do something in the kingdom, and you think... You still say, I'm not going to, you know, I wonder if that's okay. You know, let, let's have time to think about it. Let's, like the ten spies that came back. Okay, we'll just, go and, we'll just go and work it out with our community. <laughs> Caleb and Joshua were furious. What are you talking about? Do this. God's called us to do it. Let's do it. Now, don't give the possibility for the enemy to bring doubt. Because what is required to go into the promised land is faith. And if you allow for it immediately, as soon as, but what about my family? What about my responsibilities? And as husband and wife, we must be ready for that. I must be ready. If Jan, if Jan says to me, you know, God's called me to go minister, I said, do it. We're planning something tonight, but something comes up. Do it. Because your reward is much greater in the long run. What's the reward down here? It's like nothing. It goes and goes. Do it. Straight away. Immediately. So that's how the core must work in your life. Immediacy. In, in repurposing. There's a process of repurposing. So, you know, I use the term repurposing because it is the most way of, apt way of describing how Jesus worked. He didn't take people who had knowledge of Scripture, but people who didn't have their minds and hearts so thoroughly focused that they couldn't accept what God was doing, the new thing that he was about to do. That's, that's what was happening. So he repurposed the mission by using people that didn't have their minds stuck in a certain way. That's very indicative of what happened in the desert. The older people died, the new people went in. Younger people went in. All those are certain ways of doubt. And it's important this, because in every time God moves, it's the people that are left behind are the people that hold on to what they used to. And you've got to be ready for that. And especially for us, who, you know, as you get older, the tendency is not to be like Caleb, who said, listen, give me the hill country. I know that I'm older than all these guys, but I'm older than them, but I'll take that ground. They, they went behind it. Yes, I can take it. That's how we have to think as older people. Because whenever God starts to do something fresh and He wants to repurpose where the church is going, He's going to use people that think with possibility. You know? Alright. So the first thing He says is, follow me. So this is important because we follow Christ more than the task. Okay, uh, a problem. Too many people have stopped ministering or lost their ministry or deceived by their ministry because the focus has been on their ministry and not on Jesus. That's why Jesus said, follow me. 
He didn't say, listen, I'm going to talk to you about your call. He said, no, no, follow me. Turn your eyes onto me. Okay, I've got a task for you, but what is most important is that you follow me. You follow me, right? I mean, I have run many gift ministry identification courses. And I stopped. And do you know why I stopped? Because I realized it doesn't work. Because we're focusing on something that God has not called us to focus on. He's called us to accept. If God gives you a ministry, you accept it and you do it. You do what He commands you to do. But the focus is Him, Jesus. If you're following Him, alright, your gifts and ministries will automatically start falling into place. Why? Because when our focus is on Jesus, He says, I will make you. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You see, there's no self-made woman or man in this place. doesn't matter what you do. There's no self-made man, woman or ministry. And ministry also includes your work. Whatever work you do. That's your ministry. That's your ministry in the kingdom. Or part of your ministry in the kingdom. But you don't make who you are in that place. God does. Jesus does it. When we focus on Him, guess what? It will automatically come into play. Jesus makes us. We don't make ourselves. Now that is a phenomenal thing because it gives two things that happen when you understand this. First of all, it gives us rest and second, humility. Those two things. Rest in that I don't have to strive for anything He will make me to be. You know that. That's what the world does, man. And man, if you've ever done... I mean, we all get into the place where we start striving for things. Alright? And, and, and guess what happens? It just puts us a whole lot of tension on us that we don't have to worry about. Focus your attention on Jesus. He will make you into what you need to be. Nothing else. Don't worry about the rest. Alright? I mean, worry about obedience. That's all. I mean, obedience is the key. Not the fact that you're using your gift properly. It's obedience. Obedience. And following Christ, and He makes us into what? So there is this rest. I do not have to strive for anything. He will make me. And Psalm 75 6 says this. Wonderful. And I'm quoting from the King James because I love the way that it puts it in this way. For promotion cometh neither from the east nor the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and set up, set up another. He sets up one and He takes down. You, your promotion will come from the Lord if it's going to come. You don't have to worry about it. Just be content with where you're at and follow Christ. He will make you into what you need to be. And then also, humility. Because all credit goes to God. And we spoke last, last time about the great temptation, the great temptation of our age was the final temptation that Jesus faced. And that was one of prominence. We want people to look at us and say, you're really good, aren't you? But if you have this as your context, guess what? You'll do what Joseph did. I was, I was just reading this this week. You know, Joseph had these dreams. He was, his brothers were angry with him because they saw him as a young upstart that was telling, him, telling everybody that he was going to bow down before them. And then he faces Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says to him, I hear that you interpret dreams. And what does he say? He says, only God can give the interpretation of dreams. 
And I thought immediately, how often it would be nice when, when somebody asked us, here's what the dream that I had, um, can you give me the interpretation? And you think to yourself, well, I'm good at interpreting dreams. And guess how they're going to see me when I interpret this dream of theirs? You see, humility goes out of the window as soon as we think our ministry is self-made. It goes out of the window. Whereas when we are humble, we say, you know, it's not, I don't have anything except God puts me where I am. Obedience can stop you. Disobedience can stop you from where God wants you to go. That's the only thing that can stop you. Nothing else. If you are being obedient to following Christ, nothing will stop where He wants to put you. And that might be in a high position or might be in a low position. But we see everybody nowadays in a high position, we want to be in a high position. But God might want, not want us in a high position. It's a terrible place to be in a high position because there's a lot more temptation. When you're in a low position, you don't have to worry. You just depend upon the Lord. All right? Humility, all credit goes to God. And then lastly, oh, sorry, I <laughs> missed that point. All right? I will make it, not self-made ministry. The process of repurposing fishes of men. Okay, remember kingdom is about people, not the ministries that God uses to make them into the people He wants them to be. Just remember that. The kingdom is about people, fishes of men. All right? Not about the fisherman, it's about the fishes of men, people. All right? The focus and attention is on people. Now I know, if you speak to an evangelist, they think that this verse belongs to them. And I want to contend, they've stolen this verse and made it all about evangelism, but it's not all about evangelism. The fish belong to Christ, to us all belong the process of presenting them to Christ. The fish belong to Christ. The process, alright, of presenting them to Christ is for us all. Alright, 2 Corinthians 11, 2. I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband to Christ so that I may present you as a pure virgin to him. Amazing. The great command to make disciples, teaching them to obey. This is a process from conversion to final glorification. Okay? Conversion to final glorification. It's the whole process. To make men, to fish for men means that you're doing the whole thing, not just one part of it. Okay? We are all involved in the activity of the whole process, and that's what God calls us to. And each of us is gifted differently to be adept at a specific part of the process. So I may not be that successful at bringing people that don't know Jesus to the Lord, but I might be far more successful at grounding them in the basics of their word. Or, once they've been grounded, I might be more successful or gifted to actually take them on to some other place further on. So we're all, that's why it requires the whole church to disciple people or to be fishermen. All right? We're all in that specific process. All right? So each of us have been gifted differently and we need to be diligent in what God has called us to be. None of us should feel bad that we're not better at another part of the process. So if you are not, you, you might not have seen a whole lot of people saved in your ministry. That's okay. You might have 
loved on people so much that people are strengthened and encouraged in their, in their faith. And it keeps them. So you may not have brought them in, but you've kept them. Okay? You mustn't feel bad that you haven't brought them in. You might be somebody that is very effective at bringing people in, but when it comes to keeping people in, you seem to rub them up the wrong way. Alright? Okay, so, so then that's, that's okay. It's okay. All right? Now, in ministry, so while I said all this, we all adept at different parts of the process of catching fish, all right, and presenting them to Christ. We should always be ready on all occasions to minister at whatever point that need arises. So just because I'm not good at maybe seeing, or I haven't seen a lot of people saved, in other words, non-believers to believers, doesn't mean I mustn't be involved in that process. I think every person should be involved in all processes at all times that they possibly can. Understanding where your gifting lies in the ministry lies, but at the same time being ready, as the Bible says, in season and out of season, to give an account for what, what, what you believe. And, and we need to be active in that. And I want to say that. You need to be active in actually being in a place where you can share your faith. Being in a place of that. You must be. A place, that's what being a light means. I'm in a dark place so people can see. He's got you in a dark place so people can see. Now you may not have had lots of experience in bringing people to Christ. But you are there to be His light in that dark place. But you're also there to be a light in the place of faith. Just because you're good at reaching out to unsaved people, you need to be in, a, in the house of the Lord being a, an example to them. Okay? Not say, well, okay, that's where my ministry is, so I don't have to worry about you. We all worry about the whole process of what God calls us into. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that you have made us into the people that you want us to be. And then we will pray, I pray for every person here who feels in any way that Lord God, you have maybe overlooked them or they're not in the place and that you just give them rest and that they turn their eyes, focus it upon you, Jesus. And then focus on obeying you and we know that you will make them into the person that they need to be. They don't have to strive for their ministry or for what you've called them. They just have to rest in following you because you make us into the people you want us to be. And I just pray that. And I pray that we'll all be repurposed, no matter where we are, for the things that you want to take us into. It doesn't matter where, what they are. And we know that in a season like this is a good time to be repurposed and ready, Lord God, for the seasons that come. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen. 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 We'll be able to have longer sermons when this thing finishes. But as you know, we've got a service afterwards, so that's why we have to like flip it. Bless you guys. Have a good week. Amen.